Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's an author. He's written several books, mainly on uh, past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, multimedia website, terrific website, HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Amber Northern. She's the Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. They have a new report that came out, The State of State Standards for Civics in U.S. History in 2021. Look forward to that conversation, of course, with uh, critical race history. Uh, theory and all the things that are going on 1619 project we want to find out about that and then jim mcteg former barons washington bureau chief will be joining us as well it is june the 28th and on this day in 1914 Arch- archduke france ferdinand of austria and his wife sophie were shot to death by a bosnian serb nationalist during an official visit to bosnian capital of sarajevo on june the 28th 1914 the killing sparked a chain of events that led to the outbreak of World War I by early August. On June the 28th, 1919, five years to the day after Franz Ferdinand's death, Germany and Allied powers signed the Treaty of Versailles, a fishing marking the end of World War I, uh, the treaty that would end all wars. Not really. It didn't happen that way. Anyhow, the Archduke traveled to Sarajevo in June 1914 to inspect the Imperial Armed Forces in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I said that incorrectly. Herzegovina, and it's by uh, Austria-Hungary in 1908. The annexation was angered, had angered Serbian nationalists who believed the territory should be part of Serbia. A group of young nationalists hatched a plot to kill the Archduke during his visit to Sarajevo, and some missteps. 19-year-old Gravillo Princep was able to shoot the royal couple at a point-blank range while they traveled in their official procession, killing both almost instantly. The assassination set off a rapid chain of events as Austria and Hungary immediately blamed the Serbian government for the attack. As large and powerful Russia supported Serbia, Austria asked for assurances that Germany would step on, on its side against Russia and its allies, including France and possibly Great Britain. <clears throat> On July 28th, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia, and the fragile peace between Europe's great powers collapsed during the devastating conflict now known as the First World War. After more than four years of bloodshed, the Great War ended on November 11, 1918, after Germany, the last of the Central Powers, surrendered to the Allies. At the peace conference in Paris in 1919, Allied leaders uh, would state their desire to build a post-World War uh, that would... uh, Save the future wars of such enormous scale. The Versailles Treaty signed on June 28, 1919, tragically failed to achieve that objective. U.S. President Woodrow Wilson's grand dreams of the International Peacekeeping Organization faltered when it put into practice as the League of Nations. Even worse, the harsh terms imposed on Germany, the world's biggest loser, led to widespread resentment of the treaty and its authors in the country, a resentment that would culminate in the outbreak of the Second World War two decades later. 
uh, Versailles Treaty was a total disaster. <clears throat> they uh, made promises and commitments to the Germans, did not keep them, not only breaking their word, leading a lot of bitterness, and of course leading to the rise of Hitler. Uh, Naples has received yet another honor. The growth and development sectors will w welcome. This time, the Cuyahoga County metro area landed fifth among the best for senior health in the country. Fifth in the country. The uh, mesothelioma center, based in Orlando, looked at the ratio of older residents to the total population, average retirement income, life expectancy, poverty rates, Medicare enrollment, and qualities of uh, quantities of senior li living centers and s cancer doctors. Aside from being just another beach city, Naples is one of the top-rated cities in the nation for air quality, according to the American Lung Association, which is an important factor for seniors with underlying lung health conditions, except when red tides around, of course. It's a newly released State of the Air 2021 findings. The association gave Collier an A grade for not having high ozone days, which are linked to pollution emissions. From 2003 to 5, the county had been above the national average, but it steadily dropped since then, hitting the zero mark a decade ago and holding there through 2019, the most recent recorded. Home to 117,197 seniors, that's about a third of the population, Naples has the highest average retirement income and is one of the cities with the highest average life expectancy of 82 years of age, the senior study noted. In 2016, Kiplinger Magazine uh, named it as one of the dozen great places to retire for your good health. The Naples, Marco Island metropolitan area is ranked number one in the last four renditions of the annual Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index based on dwellers' views about the health, financial security, community, and sense of purpose. Naples, a wonderful place to live. Congratulations to all who've been involved in making that happen, including you and I. <clears throat> uh, former President Donald Trump, what a rally on Saturday night. He questioned the legitimacy of the 2020 election and slammed the ongoing Biden border crisis, critical race theory, and woke generals as the first post-presidential rally sponsored by Save America held in Wellington, Ohio, Saturday evening. The former Republican commander-in-chief, his appearance at the uh, Trump-branded rally was similar in nature to the signature gatherings that propelled Trump to the presidency in 2016, garnered hype during the 2020 re-election campaign as he amassed jam-packed conservative crowds across the nation. He kicked off the opening statement in a usual fiery fashion. <clears throat> Just after five months, the Biden administration is already a complete and total catastrophe, he said. That's how we started. Critical race theory is being forced on our military, Trump described the current state of affairs under the Biden administration. Gas prices are spiking, inflation is skyrocketing, and China, Russia, and Iran are humiliating our country. Joe Biden is destroying our nation right before our, our very own eyes, he said, to, to open the rally. He claimed that President Joe Biden's immigration policy has placed migrant children detained in the United States-Mexico border on suicide watch. The illegal alien miners have arrived at our border, in many cases just wonderful kids, he said. For the first time, they're on suicide watch, all because of the stupid policy you've been watching for the last few months. Trump said, unlike Biden, he believed that China owes the world in the United States trillions and trillions of dollars, vowing that China has to pay. He also called for the fake news reporters in the attendance. Do you miss me, he said. And, of course, he's talking about the drop in poor, uh, the poor ratings in television 
after the Trump era. He lambasted woke generals, a jab at uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff Mark Miley, who went viral for defending anti-racist education in the armed forces. He claimed that the uh, teaching of critical race theory helps military members gain situational understanding about the country for which we're here to defend. That is just crazy. It doesn't help them do that. It, it teaches the, uh, what it does is promoting uh, the differences among races and trying to create resentment and, and anger towards one another. Uh, general Trump also vowed to help Republican lawmakers regain control of the Congress in the next year's midterm elections. The GOP is close to flipping both chambers of the Congress, given the Democrats' party razor-thin majorities. We will take back the House, we will take back the Senate, and we will take back America soon, Trump declared to the cheering crowd. Uh, Republican leaders such as uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene appeared to support GOP candidate Max Miller, who Trump endorsed for the election in Ohio's 16th Congressional District. Miller served as Trump's former senior advisor at the White House as challenging incumbent Representative Anthony Gonzalez. The current congressman voted to impeach Trump during, uh, following the January 6th riot. The conservative assembly marks the first campaign-style rally since Trump left the White House, and it was a barn burner. He just did a great job. He expected to replicate the same buzz at Sarasota. That's going to happen on July the 3rd. Trump has also been teasing about another presidential run, and he hinted Friday at a possible 2024 announcement It's not in the not-too-distant future, he said. We won the election a second time, and it's possible we're going to have to win it up the third time, Trump said, following the applause of chants of USA, USA. Uh, it's on the day of the rally. Trump created an official and verified Rumble account on the video-sharing platform, the pro-free speech alternative to YouTube. The only video uploaded by Trump at the time served as a placeholder for the Rumble live stream of his upcoming remarks at the uh, Save America rally. So I haven't even tried to do that, but it just occurred to me, go to Rumble and see if, in fact, he's posted uh, this rally. It'd be fun to see. In any event, it was a, a great rally, full of energy. He just was uh, uh, calling it like he saw it, which was so refreshing. And, uh, you know, I think he's he's been proven right. So many of the things that he's claimed that have been called lies. Turns out uh, hydroxychloroquine and all these other things that he's been talking about you know, he was right. By the way, uh, the Texas Supreme Court ruled that Facebook could be held liable if sex traffickers use the platform to prey on children, arguing the social media website isn't a lawless no-man's land. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but that is so interesting. Maybe this is the first crack in the Section 230 shield that the uh, uh, media platforms have had uh, to have used in order to do all the nefarious things that they're talking about. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of historycentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. All 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization Mm -hmm. and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out by going to the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Amber Northern, Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman, as I mentioned before the break. Uh, he's an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website for kids of all ages, including you and I. Which is called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. Mark, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, inform our listeners that you are in Tel Aviv right now and have been there for at least six months, as I recall. And uh, Pretty much, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> as I understand it, uh, this Delta variant, uh, variant on the uh, uh, virus, has, uh, is starting to spread, and it's affecting Israel. Yes, it is. Um, it's affecting the United States, too. It just hasn't made as much noise because Israel was at zero, and now suddenly there are cases. Um, 150 to 250 cases a day, overwhelmingly amongst kids who haven't been vaccinated. There's now a big push to vaccinate kids between the ages of 12 and 16, and adults who have not been vaccinated. Uh, the only people who have been hospitalized are people who have not been vaccinated. So there are people who have been vaccinated who have gotten it, uh, primarily teachers who came in contact with a lot of kids who had it. Uh, but so far, their symptoms have been very mild. Um, so clearly the vaccine is working. The vaccine is supposedly only about between 80 and 85% effective 
in transmission against the Delta virus a variant as opposed to 95% amongst the original, but it seems to be just as effective for serious disease, but I guess we won't know that yet for a while because it takes time. But what it shows is that if everyone doesn't, if everybody does not get vaccinated, you have pockets of people and then it can spread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really the only way to kill this virus is to get everybody in the world vaccinated. So what about the danger uh, to young people, I guess especially young men, <clears throat> with the... Uh... It's, all over, it's all overstated. The, there was a number of <laughs> studies that just came out in Israel that basically the chances of um, getting significant um, uh, side effects from the vaccine are still much, much lower, even amongst kids, from getting significant uh, sickness from, the, from covid these are all anti-vaxxer stories that are pressing it very hard, and it really is not based on much science. There is, there are, there are a few cases of people getting myocarditis, myocard, I think that's what it's called, from the um, vaccine. Yeah. But uh, 100% treatable, and usually people are better within two or three days. Hmm. Um, and it's a very, it's rare, but it does happen. So, if I uh, just so to summarize it, it sounds like it's affecting younger people more than older people, and it, as the. The, well, okay, the virus both is affecting younger people much more than, than older people because Israel, 90% of the older people, 90% of the people, um, 21 or 18, 18 and above, excuse me, have been vaccinated in Israel. So obviously the younger people are the ones who are getting mostly sick, um, but some people who are vaccinated are getting, are getting it from people who are unvaccinated. I mean, that's the whole issue. Why, that's why you have to have the whole population vaccinated because... The vaccine only prevents uh, 80, 85% uh, against transmission among, with the new variant. And if it has places to spread, it will also spread to vaccinated people. Um, so the attempt also now is to get rid of the pockets of people who haven't been vaccinated. It's been long enough people realize or should realize that there are no significant side effects from this vaccine. And um, therefore, anyone who doesn't get vaccinated should get vaccinated as quickly as possible. It's the only way to beat this thing completely, it seems. So, uh, um, Mark, if uh, the, we talked about Israel, what's happening around the rest of the world? Well, the rest, around the rest of the world, so, so Great Britain is having a, more of a problem with the new variant um, because Great Britain took a risk, which looked like it was working at first, which was only giving one, va- one <coughs> dose of the vaccine and was giving the AstraZeneca vaccine. And it seems that one dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine only provides 50 to 60% protection against this new variant. Mm. So, again, we're seeing um, a big increase in the number of people who are getting COVID in Great Britain because there's no restrictions right now at all. They removed all the restrictions, and same as they had done in Israel. Um, but so it, the variant arrived in Britain early and is, is spreading. Now, it's also spreading in the United States. Supposedly, at this point, about 15% of the cases in the U.S. are this variant, and the expectations are it will quickly supplant the original virus because it spread so much more quickly. So, Do I recall that, uh, that these variants, as they develop, uh, become less, uh, in other words, they're not as uh, strong or not as uh, lethal? Or no, it, it, they, can, they can do anything. Uh-huh. In other words, the variant takes place when, a copy of the, when, the, when the virus copies and something small changes in its DNA. And it can make it stronger, it can make it weaker, it can make it more, um, it can make it more contagious or less contagious. The less contagious variants die out quickly because they're less contagious, so they can, they, and the more contagious variants um, replicate much faster. But there is nothing in the science that says 
that variants are going to be less are going to be not as strong. They can be even stronger. It really, really just depends on um, what what variations take place. Hmm. So, so Mark, uh, keep in mind. let's let's move to uh, kind of surprising. I, out of uh, nowhere came this uh, airstrikes near Iraq and Syria border. I guess they were uh, perpetrated by the United States. Well, Eddie, what are your thoughts? Well, look, the Iranians <laughs> thought they had a free, you know. Uh, a, a free hand to attack American troops. Uh, Biden is in office. Maybe he's weak, etc. All those type of things. And the reality was, the United States always made it clear: if you attack our troops, we're going to respond. And so they waited until they got the right intelligence, and then they struck a surprise attack on Iranian militia, which basically means Iranians on the Syrian-Iraqi border who are sending drones against the U.S. targets. And um, you know, it's once again, you know, Biden has surprised them because despite the fact that he wants to reach a nuclear agreement with the Iranians, he's not going to play dead and let the Iranians do whatever they want. Well, that's good. And and so it's really good. I mean, it's, it shows the fact that, um, you know, you can't attack American forces anywhere in the world with impunity. It doesn't make a difference where it is. Yeah, now apparently the forces that were attacked were uh, backed by Iran, but we did, what else do we know about these forces that were attacked? We don't know exactly. I mean, look, the Iranian militias are in Syria. They're both uh, supporting Hezbollah in Lebanon, and they're, attack- they're supporting attacks against American uh, targets in Iraq. Um, of course, they're also supporting the Syrian government. When we talk about Iranian militias, it's, it's the Iranian government. Let's be honest here. It's just they, they call themselves militias, not the Iranian army, but it's the Iranian, it's the Iranian military mm-hmm. straight out. Um, and um, again, that way, if they call this Iranian militias, then it's not an attack on Iran. Uh, you know, everyone can sort of look the other way, sort of. Yeah. Um, so, but like, again, the, on a related issue, uh, how, how's the uh, peace uh, holding up uh, between Israel and uh, Hamas? Right now, it is holding. Um, their question is, you know, will it hold? We don't know. Some weeks it looks like it's going to fall apart because. Israel is demanding in order it's demanding that the money goes back into the uh, Gaza Strip is given out by the UN or the Palestinian Authority and does not go to Hamas so that they can build more uh, more more missiles right so um, that's part of it and the of course the Hamas is not happy with that and they keep on threatening they're going to start attacking Israel if they do they tried sending some balloons uh, but the new government in Israel was as opposed to ignoring the balloons, when I say balloons, these are balloons with explosive charges on them, mm-hmm. um, or designed to start fires or explode and create damage. Uh, previously, Israel sort of turned the other way. This time, about a week ago, when they did it, Israel attacked uh, from the air in strong uh, air attacks and made it clear that it will not accept any sort of uh, attacks whatsoever. So for the moment, it's holding. Um, you know, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. Let's put it that way. I'm actually flying to the United States for a week um, next week, and I'm only flying on El Al because El Al doesn't stop if another war starts. Hmm. So interesting, Mark. Cause, cause yeah. It could happen. It's just a big unknown. Yeah. And because I, so I, much in the world. This may be my imagination, but wasn't there a little bit of a dust-up? But maybe that's what you're referring to. But uh, it's, it looked like there was a, it was starting up again. But only yeah, that's what I was referring to. Was just with the balloons that were being fired, and the American media made a big deal about the Israeli airstrikes against Hamas. <laughs> I mean, it, it was mostly show. 
you know very well when the airstrikes are mostly show when you don't hear about any casualties. Uh-huh. Well, let's, let's move to the uh, French regional elections. Yes, yeah, so the French regional elections were interesting. First of all, Marie Le Pen lost everywhere. Um, so that's a, that means that she really doesn't have any strength anywhere in the country. And the, the talk you know, a year or two ago that the far right in France was advancing seems to not be the case in reality. Um, so that's number one. Um, the French president's party, Macron's party, also didn't do well, but he really doesn't have a party. He sort of came out and was a president and then created a party in his image, but there was no... There's no there there in terms of regional act, you know regional activities and everything else. So that's not a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll see what happens in another year's the French elections. Originally they thought it would be another big election between Macron and Le Pen, but um, she may not have the support even to run at this point. Interesting. Um, so the far right, at least in France, is receding a little bit. Um, we're seeing that in different parts of the world that there is a certain you know, push back against the far right, and they're um, maybe receding, but, you know, we'll have to see. Okay, uh, the Iranian elections, what are your thoughts? It's an interesting question, right? I mean, look, the guy who was elected is about as evil as they get. Yeah. The man was responsible for the killing of thousands of demonstrators, the execution of thousands of people, even though now he claims he cares about uh, human rights. Um, there are those people who say, well, now it'll be easy to make a deal with the Iranians. Uh, but the reality is, uh, I, I think the, uh, the other way, is, in other words, there is no moderating influence anymore on the Ayatollahs. The presidency was always a, a moderating influence. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they, made, they called the shots, but they had pushback to some extent from the president of the country, who tended to be a little bit, a little bit more liberal than the Ayatollahs in many ways, and a little bit more tied into the people. And now this guy is just, you know, one of them. Um, so, you know, I feel sorry for the Iranian people. What can I tell you? Yeah, no, I do too. Uh, and uh, to your point, as you've always said, if the military is willing to turn on their own people, uh, they're going to hold power. And that's just really the, the truth of it. That's such a shame. No, very much is. It's a very sad situation. The Iranian people deserve so much more. Um, they were great people, and they they had... Great opportunities and great hopes, and you know, none of it is coming coming to, to fruition. I'm yeah, afraid. Yeah, it's a, it's just always a, sh- a shame when a small group of people get power and uh, work to retain that power at the expense of the people, and that's what's exactly what's happening in Iran and so many other places around the world. Uh, we should be so grateful for our freedom, Mark. I mean, to <laughs> to to squander uh, the freedom of the constitutional values that we have in this country would be uh, such a shame. And uh, they're always as no, for sure, for for sure. You know, look, we came a little bit close on January sixth, and uh, hopefully, we never will again. Let's put it that way. Let's understand the fact we have elections. They're winners. They're losers. Um, and do we change power peacefully in the United States? And over the over the centuries, you know, it's gone back and forth. You know, we have mostly a two-party system. Of course, we've had, you know, a few parties have disappeared over the years. The Whigs are no longer with us, yeah. but they were replaced by the Republicans. Um, and so we've had Democrats and Republicans, Democrats and Republicans, and usually every eight years it switches. Sometimes it goes to 12 years. Um, and every once in a while it's four years. But uh, generally speaking, um, the U.S. has learned um, that, 
the new president is good, whoever it might be. Change change of guard is always good, and it's a country that has been fairly evenly divided over the years, in the sense that if you look over history, I mean, literally, you know, other than a, a string of Roosevelt Truman um, and a, a bit of a string in the um, late 19th century with the Republicans, uh, you really, you know, America changes party, change changes the party that's in power on a very regular basis. Yeah, usually what that, that makes the, for, what happens is mm-hmm. the party the party changes its agenda, uh, modifies the agenda to to uh, attract. You know, usually when they fall out of power, it's because they <laughs> they they lost the will of the people. So, uh, well, very much so. But listen, people's opinions change. You know, we often have, you know, we often have leaders that 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 um, set the agenda, and often leaders follow the agenda set by the people. And that varies over a period of time. The great leaders set the agenda. Yeah. Um, and they manage to get the people to go with them. Yeah. Uh, but even the great leaders need to go after eight years. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a very important decision made after Franklin Roosevelt, um, 12 plus years, um, that we should limit our president's eight years. That was so interesting. You know, m- many people don't realize he was elected four times, four different elections. He was, absolutely. Elected and overwhelmingly almost each time. Yeah. But we have to remember, he was very popular. He was popular, both rhetorically popular. People looked to him as, as the person who was uh, going to you know, take care of them, which he did as well as he could. And the person who also led the United States through World War II and navigated some very, very difficult times. Uh, absolutely. And also the view at that point was, do you really want to, you know, in '40 it would look like war was coming, and of course, in '44, we're in the middle of the war. And do you want to change uh, your leaders in the middle of such a dangerous period of time? And so he, he was continuously reelected because he was the people, people who felt comfortable in his leadership. Absolutely. So uh, I understand there's a, a little bit of a disagreement, even a dust-up between Poland and Israel. Very much so. It's an interesting story in a sense that Poland has a right-wing government that is very nationalistic and. It made. It started two years ago when it made it illegal to claim that Poles had any involvement in the Holocaust. Now, I've been involved with in Poland for quite a number of years because I created an app on um, on Polish cities and the also on the on the death camps in Poland. I remember at the very beginning when we did this, it was very important that we say Nazi death camps and never say Polish death camps. And it's. Uh, but it became illegal to even claim that Poles had any participation in the Holocaust, mm-hmm. which, of course, is ahistorical. I mean, yes, it was the Nazis who invaded Poland, and the Poles suffered under the Nazis, but there was a not insignificant number of Polish collaborators. Sure. And so they first came out with a law, that law, which created a lot of controversy. And now this year, or this week, actually, they came out with a law that said that Jews could no longer... Um, could no longer sue uh, for getting back property that they had lost, and um, and so the view of you know, the Polish and then Israel pushed back on that. The foreign minister said this was not right, etc. I should keep in mind that the Poles have made it very, very difficult. It's the most difficult place in the in the world, basically, to try to get back your property. But it's possible theoretically. Mm-hmm. Now it becomes impossible, and of course the Poles keep on saying we're not going to pay for any of the Nazi atrocities, it's the Nazis and not us that did anything. Well, you know, i tell you a little story. I had two granduncles who managed to survive the Holocaust, ran to the East and managed to, to live, 
and they that they were the brothers of my grandfather, and they came back to the fam to the family town, which is a town called Frischdach, um in Poland, and they came back and they wanted to take back the sawmill, which was the family sawmill. They were both killed by the Poles in 1946. Hmm. And of course, you know, so, you know, I'm not interested, I've been back to that sawmill, I'm not interested in suing to get back the sawmill, obviously, but on the other hand, I don't want to say, well, we had nothing to do with it, right? In other words, there's a difference between saying, you know, I'm not interested in suing to get back, you know, whatever the value of this piece of sawmill is. On the other hand, it's something else to say, well, we didn't do anything, we did, every, you know, we, we did everything right. And so the Poles are trying to have it say that, no, you can't you can't sue to get back your property and no um, we did nothing wrong and we never did anything wrong with all the Nazis. So who ended so, up with the who ended up with the sawmill? Some Polish family, whoever grew whoever managed to grab it at the time. Hmm. Um again it's not you know, not relevant. You know, I I went back the first time uh, twenty years ago with my mother who she had grown up in Germany but she went back to visit uh, Poland when she was nine years old when before they came to America. And so she actually remembered the town, and we actually met a gentleman who at that time was 80 years old and knew the family and knew everything and took us around and everything else. Huh. And um, I was back a couple of years ago as well when I, went, when I went back to start doing this project. And, um, you know, okay, very nice. You yeah. know, there's what's left of a grave, two graveyards there. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm not going to try to get anything back, and neither my, anyone I know really wants to get anything back. On the other hand, it's, um, how should I put it, more than unnerving, it's outrageous to basically say, no, we had absolutely nothing to do with it. Right. You know, there are towns in Poland that were 95% Jewish before the Holocaust, and now, of course, there are no Jews there. So who does all the property belong to? The Nazis didn't take the property. Yeah. Again, no one wants it back for real. Right. But no one wants them to say, oh, we had nothing to do with it. We, you know, that, that, that's where the, the, it really lies. It's not a money issue. It's more an issue of um, accepting a certain level of responsibility for what historically took place yeah. or denying history. Well, I, I just generally years. appreciate uh, you sharing that story with us, Mark. But I think it, uh, it's emblematic of what happens around the world under these circumstances in so many cases. Absolutely. It's totally emblematic. I'm not saying it's not. Well, I'm not sure about the killing of them was emblematic. Yeah, right. But uh, anyhow, you know, not, not getting back the sawmill of that I could understand. Killing them, that's no. a little less. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. As usual, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Have a great week, Bob. You as well, thank you. And again, it's uh, HistoryCentral.com is the website, HistoryCentral.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Amber Northern, Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting uh, Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. 
Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us Amber Northern. She's the Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Amber, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, Amber. Tell us about the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Yes, sir. We are a think tank, uh, which a lot of people are not exactly sure what that means, but we basically try to solve vexing public policy problems when it comes to K-12 education. So we do research uh, around a bunch of different K-12 education issues. Uh, great organization. And by the way, uh, you've published now the State of the State Standards for Civics and U.S. History in 2021. Really look forward to the conversation because right now there's so many issues with regard to the 1619 Project, with regard to uh, uh, the uh, race, uh, what is it called? <laughs> drawing critical a race. Critical theory. theory. So, I mean, uh, this is such an important conversation. Tell us about the, uh, the uh, study that you did. Yeah, so um, just apropos of what you've just mentioned, uh, we, we've seen so many uh, discussions and polarization around what kids are supposed to know in U.S. history and civics, uh, civics meaning the study of government and citizenship. And we know that, you know, oftentimes the, the right and the left and everybody in between doesn't seem to be able to agree. And so we thought, you know what, we at the, at the Fordham Institute, we often evaluate standards. And we thought, you know what, we've never evaluated civic standards. We've evaluated history standards, but never civics. And given all the polarization and the conversation going on in the country, why don't we actually look on the books in each state and see what kids are expected to know in these two subjects and see whether, you know, there, this is a lot of fighting about nothing or whether there's a lot of um, biased or leading information in these standards pointing to particular ideologies. So we did it for both a pragmatic reason, uh, but also just to inform the conversation instead of so much debate what's actually on the books. 
Well, it sounds like a great project. Now, did you actually look at things like critical race theory, or, or were you looking at the mainly the, the the items that were covered specifically in in the uh, in the classes? Right. We're looking mainly at what was covered, um, but sometimes these conversations around critical race theory, um, you know, intersect and overlap mm-hmm. with how standards do cover race during uh, in, in in U.S. history. So, in other words, do they mention, you know, Jim Crow or, you know, how is the civil rights covered and, and those types of things. So sometimes this issue of race, you know, can, can uh, you know, it, it can influence how uh, states developers who write standards uh, write the history standards. Yeah. So uh, I know that you've ranked, uh, according to superior, excellent, or inadequate and so forth, the, the various states. Uh, how did Florida do? So Florida received a B, which is, you know, pretty good. There were five uh, states and jurisdictions, actually, that got A's across the country, just just five. But there were ten states with B's in both subjects. And Florida was one of those states with B's in both subjects. So not terrible, not the best in the nation, but also pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, especially when you know that there were 20 states that had D's or F's in both subjects. My goodness. Uh, and thankfully, Florida was not in that bunch. Right. And, of course, uh, we've just uh, the governor just signed a law uh, enhancing uh, civics uh, standards in the state of Florida. In fact, uh, there's now going to be a test at the end of for graduation. And if mm. you don't pass that test, uh, you, you, in order to get into college in Florida, you're going to have to take it again and pass it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, it's not not a bad idea in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great idea. So what what, what uh, just in a general sense, can you identify some of the things that you're you know you're pleased about when you when you're looking at civics and training, and what are some of the things that you're displeased about? Sure. So, um, you know, when we were looking at civics, again, I mean, we, we weren't writing curriculum. We were just looking at whether broad buckets of knowledge and skills were covered. Mm-hmm. So in the civics domain, you're looking at things like, you know, separation of powers and the rule of law and, you know, how are the legislative and the executive and the judicial branch covered? What are their roles and how do they overlap? Looking at federalism and then also civil liberties, due process. What does it mean to have equal protection? How do our elections work? Uh, what are the again? The, what's the role of government and civil society and the responsibility of citizens? So these are you know bread and butter civic issues. And then on the history side, obviously looking to make sure that our you know that the kids get at least uh, one exposure to the full pass of history during you know kindergarten through twelfth grade. We'd really prefer them to get two full passes. Mm-hmm. One in the elementary middle grades that might be, you know, at a higher higher grain level, grain size, so to speak, and then a more in-depth uh, treatment at high school. But again, I don't think anything is, is rocket science here. We're looking for, you know, how is the American Revolution covered? You know, the Civil War, the Industrial Revolution, the Great Depression, both world wars. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, and of course the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and all our seminal documents. So, you know, in other words, if you get a group of people in a room and, and no matter what their poli- politics or ideology is, we would think that most people would, would say, yeah, those are the types of things in our history that, that need to be covered. Mm-hmm. And also just, you know, what kind of dispositions, you know, I mean, uh, you know, do we, do we realize the foundations of equality uh, and justice and freedom that our nation was founded upon? So some discussion of those, um, those types of uh, civil dispositions and civil liberties. Great. Amber, any idea about uh, how we're doing uh, chronologically? In other words, are, are things getting better or worse when it comes to civics and, and, and history training? 
Yeah. So being that this was the first time we uh, looked at civics, I can't remark to that, but we have done history several times in the past over mm-hmm. Fordham's 25-year history, and um, and our reviewers thought that the history coverage had gotten a little bit better, mm. where we had seen some sort of ideological skirmishes or, you know, a little bit too much um, to the right or to the left. They did see some improvement and more objective treatment of history, which was encouraging. And again, just kind of flows against what we hear in the in the media about all the polarization and, and, and fighting. Um, but we did. We saw some improvement. And, and Florida, especially, we had lots of good things to say about Florida. I was just re- looking at that review again. Um, I'll just give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. So in grade five, um, you know, this is a seminal grade right here. Kids are a little older in elementary school. They're able to handle a little bit more content. So they have to um, know the Constitution. They have to know about the concepts of popular sovereignty, rule of law, separation of powers, checks and balances. They have to know the different scope of powers of the federal and state governments. They have to give examples of the amendment process. They have to be able to describe the fundamental rights of all citizens under the Bill of Rights, and they need to understand the role of the courts in interpreting law and settling conflicts. So those are all, you know, pretty meaty topics. Oftentimes in other states we see them sort of, you know, saving anything that's sort of meaty until until later in the uh, middle school or high school grade. So we think that Florida did a nice job exposing students to, um, you know, to substantive content in the elementary grades. You know what? That is so impressive. I'm so happy that you shared that with us. Quite frankly, Amber, I just wonder if uh, adults... <laughs> <laughs> could, could, <laughs> right. could, would know this stuff and pro- my guess is probably not if, if they knew it they forgot it so it's unfortunate we should probably have some sort of a renewal program going on uh, after after uh, graduation Amber, Nor- right. Amber right. Northern again the Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute what's the website uh, Amber? It is FordhamInstitute.org. Folks can find the report there. FordhamInstitute.org is the website, and I did look at the report online, and uh, it's terrific. Amber, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Amber. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. Uh, follow the leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, Shake the Money Tree. I'm sorry, the first is uh, Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Bob. I've, I've been reading newspapers this morning and connecting the dots to come up with uh, what's really happening in, in politics because, you know, the mainstream media has a uh, pretty much a uh, news blackout on all things uh, Donald Trump, and uh, they paint the uh, roses red with anything pertaining to President Joe Biden. Yeah. And when I connect the dots, I see a White House in uh, a chaotic panic mode because of Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump is pretty much dictating uh, the uh, Biden agenda at this point, and it, it should get more pronounced this week when Donald Trump and Governor Greg Abbott of Texas uh, visit the uh, Mexican border. That, that is going to be like the news event of the week. And I don't think they'll be going to El Paso, 800 miles away from where the, <laughs> the epicenter of the problem is. Uh, my guess is they're going to get right there and take a look at what's going on. Uh, you know, I had referenced earlier in the, uh, in the show uh, the Trump rally on uh, Saturday night, and he was just on fire. He pulled no punches whatsoever. And uh, I have to imagine if anybody was paying attention to that, and I'm I'm speaking now of, uh, in the Biden administration. They have to be a little bit on them on their heels themselves. Well, they are. I mean, that's why Biden tried preemptively to uh, attack the crime problem last week, and and his crime proposal fell flat. You know, and meanwhile they're still rioting in Washington Square in New York City, and the Democratic primary. Uh, uh, the winner is a uh, pro-police candidate, so uh, the Democrats have a real problem when it comes to crime. You know, on tomorrow, the president is visiting La Crosse, Wisconsin, to talk about infrastructure, and I looked at the La Crosse Tribune today, their, ma their main newspaper. Uh, there's no story on the front page about the Biden visit, but there is a story about Donald Trump uh, addressing by video the GOP 
convention you know, and, and berating them. And then the other big story on the front page of the Little Cross Tribune is about a new diner that opened and some of its food offerings. So, <laughs> so no mention of Biden at all. Uh, and, and then I read that the Kamala Harris tomorrow was supposed to visit Detroit to talk about vaccinations, but she has postponed her trip uh, ostensibly because heavy rains caused flooding in Detroit, and so so there's a serious flooding problem, which is infrastructure. But uh, this is uh, Biden trying to bury his worst mistake, Kamala Harris, and and keep her out of the newspapers uh, this week because he has enough problems with Trump. He doesn't he doesn't need his uh, his uh, clownish uh, sidekick. To get any headlines. Well, so, you know, uh, it seems to me the Trump, uh, the uh, press, mainstream media should be really pleased that Donald Trump is speaking up now because their ratings are dropped so much as a result of his being out of the presidency that uh, seems to me they'd be welcome him back as a punching bag, as a you know, uh, as uh, somebody they could unfortunately hate. That's what they do. Yeah. Let me remind your listeners that I don't like Trump, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I. The news is what it is, and uh, he's the only person out there that is willing to talk about the hot-button issues. You know, the Democrats are so politically correct, they tried to um, sidestep anything to do with uh, illegals crossing the border. Yeah. Uh, they don't really want to talk about crime in the street. Uh, you know, infrastructure is an easy thing, and Biden almost blew a deal with the uh, Republicans because he suddenly bowed to the left and, and linked a, in quotes, bipartisan infrastructure deal to some social welfare bill. So, And then he had to flip-flop and reverse himself. Um, so... Uh, Hey, so was uh, parenthetically, where's all that going right now? Because I think he really stepped in it, quite frankly, and it may have turned off some of those that have agreed to this bipartisan deal. What do you think? Oh, I think it probably turned off a lot of people because he can't be trusted. You know, he's he's just too easily buffeted by the um, uh, the, the currents within his own political party. He doesn't seem to have a a strong. Um, direction for himself no compass so, no compass yeah, right and so and, and so if you if republicans want to hitch their wagon to his bipartisan spiel uh they have to be prepared to be stabbed in the back and and i don't think uh, that's going to fly mm-hmm. so um you know and infrastructure isn't is, is usually a win-win for both parties like in virginia uh when we had democratic uh, governors when i lived there uh, the most successful governors, uh, the first thing they did when they got into office was to, to address infrastructure, fix the roads. And the next thing, school improvement. The third thing was a tax increase. But by that time, the public was happy with what had been delivered, so, so they acquiesced mm-hmm. to slightly higher taxes. We're not talking about dramatic increases. So it's kind of a political formula that the Democrats have used at the state level. And I think Biden was, was trying to use this at the national level you know, as a, a pathway to raising taxes down the road. And, and he just muffed it uh, you know, uh, hours after negotiating an agreement with the Republicans. So mm-hmm. uh, 
I expect uh, that we're not going to see an infrastructure bill this uh, year at all. And so what about the, the uh, uh, tax increases and the other proposals that he's come up with? Uh, the, uh, <clears throat> what's the re reconciliation uh, program that he wants to uh, promote? Yeah, I see no evidence that the Republicans are going to, going to retreat on the 2017 tax bill. So it's a non-starter, and, you know, uh, we're already after Labor Day. Labor Day is coming up pretty quickly. I know, I know we haven't reached July 4th yet, but uh, time flies. And, and then we're talking about midterm elections. So uh, I think uh, the era of good feel feelings between a small group of Republicans, bipartisan Republicans and bipartisan Democrats, is rapidly approaching uh, a final curtain. So I don't expect anything to be done, um, which is amazing. If you look at the polls, uh, Congress, people hate Congress. I mean, Congress's popularity is miserable. It's like, both, you know, below 30 percent. Uh, Biden continues to be popular, and I think it's because he's so ineffective that people were, um, you know, Trump was stormy. He, uh, he could fray the nerves. He could raise the blood pressure. So I think I think people are um, in a cooling off period. Yeah. Uh, however, however, again, uh, people are concerned about crime. They're concerned about the border. They're concerned about everything Trump talks about. Uh, even um, you know, even if like a person like me who thinks his 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 claims that the election was uh, fraudulent, I you know I think they're bogus. But but I want accurate elections. I want fair elections. I don't think the, the counting is as good as they could be. And I, I think I'm an everyman. So uh, again, Trump is talking about things people care about. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats are trying to uh, ignore things that people care about. So uh, that's kind of an interesting comment because uh, he, uh, many people say his claims are bogus and that kind of thing. However, we've got these forensic audits going on. We'll have uh, results, some probably this week, of uh, the preliminary results about what's happened in Maricopa County. Uh, the, but we also have some uh, things going on in uh, Virginia. We have some things going on in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, there's a lot of movement and, and a lot of it's a lot of interesting things going on. It may take a while, but, you know, we're going to actually find out whether, in fact, there was uh, cheating or not in the election. Yeah, I mean, there's always some cheating. The, pro the question is, uh, did it reach a level that it actually uh, made a difference? Number one, I don't think so. Uh, but number two is, um, you know, how if there is cheating, how do people get away with this and how do we stop it? in the future. Absolutely. So, again, I think uh, your commonsensical voters uh, appreciate that argument. And, and again, because the, because the Democrats will not talk about this stuff, uh, they're really hurting themselves. And I, I see a, a big Republican uh, sweep of uh, the Senate and the House yeah. in the next midterm. Yeah. The most uh, memorable thing that you said today, Jim, is that uh, people like Biden because he's ineffective. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Jim McTague, again, uh, author of a couple of great murder mysteries. you got to check them out. It's called, oh, first is uh, Father the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for allowing the visit. Great fun. Okay, thank you, Jim.
Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with our state senator, Kathleen Pasadoma. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be joining us up in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. My wife, Linda, who uh, writes Greetings from Paradise, uh, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>